Uh, I think let's kick off tonight with some prayer. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much uh, for each and every single person that is here in this place tonight. It is so good uh, to be back together. It's so good to be back here uh, on Sunday nights uh, with one another. Lord, I pray that, that tonight you really speak to us, uh, really show us what you wanted to say, and I, I pray we all come away from tonight um, having heard from you, but enriched by what has been said as well in your name, Lord. But guide us and lead us, I pray in your name. Amen. All right, for those who, who don't know, uh, my name is Bernie, and I get to work here at BBC, which is really great. Handling all the production stuff, which is really hilarious, because every time I seem to come up here, production stuff seems to stuff up for me and me alone, uh, which, is, which is great, which is fine. Um, but we're, we're kicking off a new series tonight, as you can see by the epically cinematic uh, intro trailer that we have. And I thought before I, I actually get into the, the point, the part of speaking about what we're talking about, I'd explain what it is we're trying to do with the, this title, the prequel. Because I know, I know some of us might understand the idea of what a prequel is, mainly us nerds who understand what a prequel is. Uh, but then there's potentially a lot of people here who don't um, kind of understand what the word is. So the prequel, uh, to me, is stories that come before maybe a centralized other core story that enrich it, provide extra history to it, uh, add character depth to it. So the prequel stories tend to come after an original story, but speak before the story to add richness to the core story itself. You follow me or are we lost already? I'll give you a good example. Star Wars. Star Wars is a great example of this. So uh, the original trilogy came out many, many years ago and uh, it was fantastic. And it was one of these things you could watch that trilogy and understand the entire narrative. You could understand the relationship between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker. You could understand kind of what the Galactic Empire was and why uh, the Rebellion were trying to get out from underneath it. Um, you could watch those three movies and be like, sweet, I get it. I understand the Force and all that kind of stuff. I understand what's going on here. Uh, but then a number of years later, we were given the prequel movies. And regardless how you feel about the terrible CGI, or the implementation of characters that still give us nightmares, hashtag Jar Jar Binks is the truth, Sith Lord. <laughs> what they did achieve is they added this richness to the Star Wars universe that wasn't there before. Now we can, we can watch these prequel movies in collaboration with the main trilogy and understand, okay, how did the Jedi actually fall away? How did uh, the Galactic Empire come to be out of what used to be a beautiful republic? We also get to see the journey of Anakin Skywalker who falls to the dark side and ultimately becomes Darth Vader. You get this added richness. So then when you watch the original trilogy afterwards, you're like, ah, I understand more of the history behind this. I understand why these guys are feeling this way in a, in a deeper way that I, I didn't quite understand before. So that is the idea of the prequel. And so for us, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at six key stories from the Old Testament that to us come together and provide quite an adequate gospel prequel. A prequel to the story of Jesus and the incredible life that he lived. And so over the next weeks, we'll be picking out these key stories. Only six of them. We could, I guess, take the entire Old Testament as the prequel. But if we were to do that in a series, we'd be here for the next two years, going through each and every single little bit. So we've just chosen six key stories. And that's what we're going to be working through over the next number of weeks. But... And tonight we're actually starting right at the very beginning of that prequel with creation. Right at the very beginning. Now, quick question before we get into this. How many of you have ever tried to create something? 
Make something, create something. Good. How many of you have tried to make something without the instructions? How many of you have tried to make something and it hasn't gone very well? So about three or four months ago, Vika, my wife, asked me to make this like flower box for our wall at home, outside fence kind of wall kind of thing. And um, I was like, sure, we got some pellet wood lying around. I just have to make some shelves and it'll be, it'll be fine. And so I got all my tools and my resources and I went to the garage for four to five hours and just kind of worked away on this thing and I used every single little bit of my woodworking ability on it. Every single little bit that I could recall from high school, I put into this little plant shelf thing, planter box, I guess is what it's called. And uh, I'm working away and I'm working hard. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. This is gonna be the best thing that I've ever made. It's gonna be amazing. And I, I go out and I put it on the fence and I set it up and it, luckily it hangs there, which is good. That's always a good first sign. But then I take a step back and I look at it my heart kind of sinks, just kind of drops a few steps. It wasn't very good. It was, do you want to see it? It was actually quite terrible. I don't know if you can see this because the, the light and everything like that, but none of those shelves are parallel. None of the frame is parallel either. It's actually got quite a nice curve, as you can see. It held the plants up all right, which was a bonus, but it looks quite sad. That was, I took that today. As you can see, the rain has really had a good go at it. It looks incredibly sad, but, but it hasn't fallen down yet. That, that to me, is, is a victory uh, with, my, with my woodworking ability. So, yeah, so um, luckily for us, the, the creation story we're going to look at tonight isn't like my planter box. In terms, it was made by a creator who actually knew what they were doing rather than me who kind of made it up as I went along. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through the creation story, which is, of course, held in the book of Genesis. And um, the Hebrew word reshit is kind of where we get the word Genesis from. And the word reshit means in the beginning. And Genesis is probably one of my most favorite books to read out of the Bible because I find it really creative and really interesting. Uh, the, way, the way it's written, it feels like more like an into epic introduction to something maybe out of Narnia or Lord of the Rings, rather than, you know, because we can kind of look at the rest of the Bible and be like, oh man, everything in this is so boring and so old, and a lot of it is, but not Genesis. Genesis is really creative, really, really interesting. There's kind of like a, this kind of sweet mythical vibe to it. It feels like in a way you could read Genesis around a campfire and like, or to your child who's in bed and they're about to have their minds filled with the imagery that is being talked about there, is an exceptionally creative book. And it's interesting that we think that it might, that it feels like that in terms of like you could read it aloud and people could take it on because that's potentially how it was actually passed down through the different generations. Can I actually get the other pulpit, please, Caleb? This is not working for me. Thank you kindly. So I, I enjoy reading it, and it's, um, I'm going to get into these, these chapters in a second. And what I want to do is I want to kind of do it kind of differently. Because a lot of us, we can read it maybe before bed. It's like a, you know, a obligatory Bible reading for that day kind of thing. But I want to read it in a way that maybe how it was done in the past. 
with a little bit more theatric nature to it, but a little bit more storytelling side to it. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you want to. I'm going to get a little bit of mood music going on in the background. And we're going to dip the lights so that it creates this nice little moody space for you to think about the words that I'm going to be saying. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through these first three chapters of Genesis and just let these words roll over you and, and, and picture the scene. And as we go through, we'll take little breaks and we'll talk about little parts of it. But let's get into it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was. God saw that the light was good and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and the years. And let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made stars, and God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. 
And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Let's just pause here for a second. God has made us in his own image. What does that mean? Does that mean in some way I physically look like part of God? Does he have my beard? I don't think it's restricted to just physical appearance here. I think it alludes to something deeper. Our Creator created a creation that could also create. What if it was actually talking about our ability to reflect God's character, creativity, and goodness out into the world? What would it look like for us to use our creativity in ways we never thought of using it, but in a way that reveals God's glory and splendor? Not just music, not just physical art, but words, clothing, web design, cooking, games, homework, accounting, all of these have creative veins within them. Let's continue. God bless them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Just want to rest in that moment again. Imagine that scene. You know, you're in, you're in Eden. Everything is beautiful. Everything is peaceful. There's this kind of awesome, harmonious thing going on. Animals are just all around, and they, I kind of think it's kind of like Narnia, where they kind of can speak and stuff like that. So it's kind of wonderfully magical and perfect. And when I read this narrative, I so wish we, they lingered in this, this space longer. I so wish that there was another whole chapter about just Adam and Eve hanging out in the garden and doing wonderful things. But unfortunately, things are about to change forever. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will certainly die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I, I really love that God says that in that moment. I mean, he, he's God and he, he knows everything about everyone. So for him, he, he certainly knows where Adam is. I mean, it's kind of like when you play hide and seek with a toddler and you know where they are, but you pretend for like five minutes that you don't know where they are so that they feel really awesome about it. But there's something about the way that God approaches Adam in this moment because he... he He's aware of what they've already done. And he's not coming with fire and he's not coming with instant instant death. It's almost like he's approaching it heartbroken. He's coming to Adam Adam and Eve heartbroken. Just like a parent would be if their child did something that disappointed them. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll birth no children. Oh, you'll birth to children. Ooh, that could have been awkward. Um, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the opening chapters of Genesis. We can lift the lights again slowly if you want to, Logan. Do you see what I mean about how it's kind of cinematic in the way it's written and, and, and creative and, and wonderful and you could easily mistake it with maybe something from Narnia? But I, I, I like words and I like writing and I like cre creativity in that area and things. And so I like how this has all been put together. Whoever, whoever wrote it and, and pieced it together, it's fantastic. And for me, there's these little ideas that kind of pop out of it as you go through it. And one of those key ideas is the idea of order and chaos. I mean, we see at the beginning of the book, God like systematically crafting and intentionally uh, putting things uh, together. And though there's, you know, this huge debate about how it all actually happened, the way this person has written Genesis reveals this beautiful characteristic of who God is. You know, we see him in this, like, these finite details, like down to the point of making sure the seeds are according to their kind and like the animals are according to their kind and it's all going to work together in some harmonious way. He, he's in the detail and there's order to it. It wasn't some kind of chaotic kablam in this world. Kablam! And there's an animal that looked kind of funny. No, it was intentionally, okay, let's craft this. Let's carve order out of the chaosness that is light and darkness amalgamated together. Let's separate the earth from the sky. Let's uh, bring up the land. Let's put animals on the land that are supposed to be there. He was intentionally and purposefully curating the world as he built it. And that, that, that brings out a character of God that I find just absolutely marvelous, the meticulousness 
of his interest into those, those finite details, those, those small things, the wanting to bring order into those places. It, it speaks loudly to me because we are small, but God is meticulously interested and intentional about those things. The Garden of Eden is another example of this. It's, it's a place of rest. There's no chaos here. Everything seems to be in a state of harmonious bliss. And it's at this point that humanity is placed with a choice presented by the tree. Made in God's likeness, they had the power to create, power to choose, and up to this point, they've chosen to live by God's order, by God's reign, to follow God's definition of good and evil. Eve reaching out and grabbing the fruit represents humanity's choice to reject God's order of things. And humanity chooses to define good and evil by our own means. Seeing as we're not very good at making these choices, it plunges us into a downward spiral of destruction. Chaos. When God is present, you see order. When we take control, you see chaos. This is also the introduction of the idea of sin, the desire to call the shots ourselves for our own gain, the inward turning of the human heart to do what's good for me, even if it's at the expense of others. Let's see how this downward spiral continues to unwind the rest of the first part of Genesis. Check out the the snippet of uh, a video done by the Bible uh, Project guys. So now that humanity's made this choice, Things get really, really, they really bad. So Genesis three through eleven is like tracing this downward spiral of all all humanity. So Adam and Eve they can't trust each other anymore, and so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good and evil might be different than Eve's, and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story it's about God being angry, but it actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of his world. And so out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his world, he washes it clean with the flood. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Yeah, don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. I mean, he must be a pretty great guy. But this is the story most people don't know because it's kind of weird is that Noah gets off the boat and he plants a vineyard and he gets totally plastered and then something sketchy happens in his tent with his son. It's a tragic story. So from here humanity grows again but things are as bad as before and the last story is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story you have all of the nations uniting together to use this new technology they have, the brick. And they want to make a name for themselves and build this big city with a huge tower that will reach up to the gods. But God knows that this city will be a nightmare. And so in his mercy, he scatters them. And all of these stories, they're underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define 
good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And this leaves you wondering, is there any hope for humanity? Yes, yeah, there is. It's the very next story that answers that question. It's the beginning of God's mission to rescue and restore his world. All right, so as we can see, like that, that choice that Adam and, Adam and Eve made, the, the choice to choose a self-autonomy rather than letting God's reign plunges them into this downward spiral. And the rest of that first part of Genesis is really good at kind of setting this backdrop for the rest of the biblical narrative in terms of humanity has caused this problem. And uh, it's one that they need to be rescued from, but it's also one that they can't fix on their own. And we, as we go through the rest of these weeks, you're going to hear kind of more of that progression. Um, but what I wanted to do to kind of finish tonight is I wanted to read a story uh, by a guy called Max Lucado, and he's a fantastic storyteller. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him and wish at some point I would be able to write as good as he writes. Um, but uh, this, this, this little bit of, bit of story that he's written here is... Um, it's a really unique perspective on what God was thinking during this kind of creation process. Because we, we read it and we're like, oh, we, we stuffed it up. We, we made the mistake. But this offers a really unique insight that I really like and I really appreciate. So I'm, I'm going to read that for you and then uh, we'll wrap things up here. He placed one scoop of clay upon another until a form lay lifeless on the ground. All of the garden's inhabitants paused to witness the event. Hawks hovered, giraffes stretched, trees bowed, butterflies paused on petals and watched. You will love me, nature, God said. I made you that way. You will obey me, universe, for you are destined to do so. You will reflect my glory, skies, for that is how you were created. But this one will be like me. This one will be able to choose. All was silent as the Creator reached into Himself and removed something yet unseen, a seed. It's called choice, the seed of choice. Creation stood in silence and gazed upon the lifeless form. An angel spoke, but what if He, what if he chooses not to love? The Creator finished. Come, I will show you. Unbound by today, God and the angel walked into the realm of tomorrow. There, see the fruit of the seed of choice, both the sweet and the bitter. The angel gasped at what he saw, spontaneous love, voluntary devotion, chosen tenderness. Never had he seen anything like these. He felt the love of the Adams. He heard the joy of Eve and her daughters. He saw the food and marveled at its warmth. Heaven has never seen such beauty, my Lord. Truly, this is your greatest creation. Ah, but you've only seen the sweet. Now witness the bitter. A stench enveloped the pair. The angel turned in horror and exclaimed, what is it? The creator spoke only one word, selfishness. The angels stood speechless as they passed through centuries of repugnance. Never had he seen such filth, rotten hearts, ruptured promises, forgotten loyalties, children of the creation wandering blindly in lonely labyrinths. This is the result of choice? The angel asked. Yes. They, they will forget you. They will reject you. 
Yes. They, they'll never come back? Some will. Most won't. What will make them listen? The Creator walked on in time, further and further into the future until he stood by a tree, a tree that would be fashioned into a cradle. Even then he could smell the hay that would surround him. With another step into the future, he paused before another tree It stood alone, a stubborn ruler of a bald hill. The trunk was thick, the wood was strong. The stony brow of another hill, and soon he would be mounted on it. He felt the wood rub against the back he did not yet wear. Would you go down there? The angel asked. I will. Is, is there no other way? There isn't. Wouldn't it be easier to not plant the seed? Wouldn't it be easier to not give the choice? It would. The Creator spoke slowly. But to remove the choice is to remove the love. He looked around the hill and foresaw a scene. Three figures hung on three crosses, arms spread, heads fallen forward. They moaned with the wind. Men clad in soldiers' garb sat on the ground near the trio. They played games in the dirt and laughed. Men clad in religion stood off to one side. They smiled, arrogant, cocky. They had protected God. They thought by killing this false one, they had won. Women clad in sorrow huddled at the foot of the hill. Speechless, faces tear-streaked, eyes downward. One put her arm around the other and tried to lead her away, but she wouldn't leave. I will stay, she said softly. I will stay. All of heaven stood to fight. All nature rose to rescue. All eternity poised to protect, but the Creator gave no command. It must be done, he said, and withdrew. But as he stepped back in time, he heard the cry that he would someday scream, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wrenched at tomorrow's agony. The angel spoke again. It, it would be less painful. The creator interrupted softly, but it wouldn't be love. They stepped into the garden again. The maker looked earnestly at the clay creation. A monsoon of love swelled up within him. God's form bent over the sculptured face and breathed. Dust stirred on the lips of the new one. The chest rose, cracking the red mud. The cheeks freshened, a finger moved, and an eye opened. But more incredible than the moving of flesh was the stirring of the spirit. Those who could see the unseen gasped. Perhaps it was the wind who said it first. Perhaps what the stars saw that moment is what has made them blink ever since. Maybe it was left to an angel to whisper it. It looks like. It appears so much like. It's him. The angel wasn't speaking of the face, the features, or the body. He was looking inside at the soul. It's eternal gasped another. Within the man, God had placed a divine seed, a seed of his self. The God of might had created not a creature, but another creator. And the one who had chosen to love had created one who could love in return. So as we go from this place tonight, as we 
leave this place with the, the creation narrative in our, in our ears ringing, the no, knowing of what had happened when humanity chooses to take control and not let God rule the, the, the good and the evil, the order versus chaos, it, we have a choice. A choice to reflect God's character, creativity and goodness out into our world or to turn, or we can turn our hearts inward. Do what's good for me, even at the expense of others. God is well aware of our potential to, to do both, are we? What will we choose in our day-to-day lives? I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking about this to a number of leaders at a Tote Springs kids camp, and I left them with this, and I'm going to leave you with this too. It's a story about a young girl who came to camp, and her home situation wasn't great, but for this entire week of this camp, these leaders loved on this girl, even though she was troubled at, some time, at times and you know, would need to be taken off by herself again and again and again. The leaders would just love on this girl again and again. To the point that when she was picked up at the end of the camp and her mom was walking her out from the registration desk, all the leaders kind of like made this kind of like victory channel and they all said goodbye to her. Bye, see you later, see you next time, hope you have a great time. And as this girl has been walked out by her mom, her mom breaks down in tears because she is witnessing her daughter being loved in a way that she had never been loved before, that she knew that she was taking her daughter from this incredible loving situation back into an environment that didn't have that. And what I think is our challenge that this creation narrative gives us is we have choices, choice to be ambassadors of Eden in our day-to-day lives, to choose a life that reflects what God wants us to reflect, or we can choose to do our own thing. That is the challenge of this creation narrative. Why don't we stand together as I pray? Father God, I thank you for so many things. I thank you that you're meticulously interested in in who we are as humans, that you care about us intimately, that you love us, that you created us, that you gave us this world that is incredible and amazing and interesting to explore that you love us even though we stuff up time and time again. And Lord, my prayer tonight is that as we go from this place, we, we choose you, we choose your order, we choose your way, we choose to reflect your characteristics in our lives today and in the weeks that come. May we be ambassadors of your goodness. May we be ambassadors of your creativity so that it reflects your glory and your splendor. May we be ambassadors of your love that, that show has no bounds. May we bring little pieces of Eden, that harmony, that peace, that place where God dwells intimately with humanity into our day-to-day lives. And Lord, what I'm most thankful about and what we can look to as we journey through this prequel series, but we all know as we stand here tonight, Lord, that you sent your son into this world to forgive us. And we have him that we can look to They can guide us and lead us and be with us every single day. For when you send Jesus, you sent your order back into this this life, into this world. And every day we have a choice to be led by him. 
And I pray that for each and every single person here in this place, that they would choose you today, tomorrow, every day, regardless of how hard it is. And I pray you bless each and every single one of my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord. Heal them, speak to them, answer them, just like Caleb was praying at the beginning. I invite you to move, Lord. I invite you to move in power as we begin Sunday nights of 2018. Lord, we come expectant and thankful. In your name we pray. Amen.